Good morning. We welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. Uh, if you're visiting with us, you're our honored guest. We'd like to get to know you better. There is a, a friendship register on each pew. We'd like to get a record of everyone's attendance. Would you please uh, take the friendship register, sign in for you or your family, and pass it on down the row. If you're joining us on social media, we welcome you as well. You can see on the screen that our theme for this year is reaching forward. That's interesting looking at Ken's lesson topic, doing it Kane's way. That doesn't sound like we're reaching forward to me. So I'm just really interested in what Brother Forrest has got to say to us this morning. We're so glad that you're here. We're, we pray that our worship will be pleasing in God's sight. Would you bow with me as we begin? Our loving Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your blessings. We're thankful for the opportunity to serve in your kingdom. We pray, Father, as we worship you today, that everything that we do would be pleasing in your sight and that you would accept our worship to thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first song we'll be singing this morning is Jesus Hold My Hand, 412. Let's sing out. As I travel through this
next song we're singing is This Is All The World, 589. of life. We're thankful for life itself, for the wonderful way that you take care of us, that you give us food, clothing, and shelter. And we're especially thankful, Father, for the greatest gift of all, for your son who came and lived among us and understands uh, our problems and eventually died on the cross that we might have remission of our sins. We're thankful, Father, for the church he established. We're especially thankful for the congregation here at Boonville. And we pray that you would be with our leadership, maybe the elders, the deacons, our ministers, our teachers, all those that work in so many different ways in so many different areas. Our food pantry programs, the carrying cooks, and on and on. We're, we're thankful that we have people that work so diligently in so many areas of this congregation. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to bless us in all these efforts. We're also minded, Father, of, uh, reminded of, of our people that have needs, those in our community, those that are brothers and sisters in Christ. We know there's a lot of different types of needs in, in this congregation and in our communities. And as we think of these people, we pray that you would meet their needs as only you can. We pray, Father, for Ken as he comes to deliver the message of the hour. We pray, Father, that you would give him a good recollection of those things he's intended to say. And we pray that he would say the things that would touch all of our hearts and cause us to be more diligent about our service to you in the future. We pray that you would go with us now as we do worship you. We pray that everything that we do and say today it will be pleasing in your sight. Forgive us when we do wrong and help us to live better. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. The invitation song this morning will be I Am Resolved. The song before the lesson this morning will be When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. Let's all sing. 
When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, the time shall be no more. Scripture reading be from Jude, verse 11, book of Jude, verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of, the, of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Good morning, everyone. Hope you had a great weekend. This is the first day of this new week, so Lord willing, we will start off in a tremendous way. And in large part, we've done that as we've been singing these songs and appreciate the vigorous way that we've been led. And that, that song, Jesus is all the world to me. I, I love that song. I want that song, song sung at my funeral. So if you're at my funeral... You please remember that for Anita, she may forget, but you say, well, didn't Ken say that he wanted Jesus is all the world to me sung at his funeral? Please do that for me, okay? We will. And <laughs> never know. And I, I have a couple of things here I wanted to start with. One is, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but out there in the foyer are sermon notes for kids. And this is, this is a terrific exercise for our young people. And I don't know how we're going to do it, but I want, I want to encourage this thing. I don't know if I'll put the names of those who participate in the bulletin or something, but I think it's terrific. I know over the last few weeks, there has been at least one person who does them because Hunter Timms turns them in as though it was an assignment. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. Uh, sermon notes were taken on. He'll put the date. He'll put his name. He'll put uh, the speaker. And it's been me so far. Uh, what was the occasion? My favorite song today. Uh, Hunter, if you're here, put Jesus is all the world to me. And scripture reading, book, chapter, verse, even draws a scene from the sermon and it's, so far, two of them have been the podium here with me on it. I love that. Difficult words. 
And so now, you know, as I'm preparing, I'm thinking, is this too difficult? I mean, is this too big a word or whatever? And then makes out the outline, puts prayer requests there, things I learned, and a question from the sermon. I love that. So if you are young, now this is for kids. Listen, if you're not a kid, but you'd like to participate, you put your, you fill yours out too. And if you want to put it in my box, I'm, I'm not really giving grades, but it does excite me that there is that much attention given by our young people to the sermon that's being preached. So if you have a young person and you'll fill that out, we're going to do something for them. Really, really appreciate that. Um, I have a couple of prayer requests here that people have mentioned. One was not mentioned to me, but to me, this is terrific. And that's Carolyn Wilcutts here today. Now, she is in the way. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, she is right there in the aisle. And I want you today just to go love on her because she has, she has really endured a lot with her injuries. But it is terrific that she is able to be here today. And we're so grateful. And then Abby George gave me this note. It's prayers for her brother. He's in the local hospital, has to have surgery on his pancreas sometime this week. And also pray for Abby. She's basically now his legal caregiver. She's got a lot of decisions to make concerning him and his future care. So we want to we wanna remember these in our prayers. We'll give thanks that Carolyn's here today. And we will also pray for Abby. And we're going to pray for us because now is a special time for us in the church here. We are participating in worship. This part of our time together, meditating on the word of God, that's an act of worship. So as I am sharing these things with you, I'm hoping that you're really taking them to heart. And I really appreciated what was mentioned earlier, that, that that's our intention. That's what we hope for, is that the word will touch us in the appropriate way. Today is a study of somebody who made some terrible choices. One bad choice in particular. But so many today have gone that very same way. This will serve as a warning for all of us. So I pray that you'll take that to heart. Whether you're just a sterling example of Christianity or not, there may come that moment in your life when everything bears upon a decision you're going to make. And I hope you'll make the right choice. Before we start that, though, we're going to pray that God will bless us. So let's bow together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege of worship. Thank you for this opportunity that in the midst of these acts of worship that we can stop and meditate upon your word. I pray, Father, that we will hear what you're saying to us and that we will make the appropriate application. Pray you'll help me to 
communicate it easily to understand, but I pray for those who hear that even if I don't accomplish my end, that still your word will prevail and it will find its place. We rejoice that Carolyn's here today in answer to so many prayers that we have offered. We pray, Father, that her progress will continue, that she will feel strong and well again. We pray, Father, for Abby as she has to make some big decisions about her brother and his care. And we pray, Father, that you will give her wisdom to be able to make the right decisions that best impact his life for good, but also for her as she bears that burden. And I'm certain, Lord, that she's not the only caregiver in this congregation. I pray also for them that you'll bless them as they're tending to others and that you'll make it not a burden at all, but that it will be a blessing and that you will bless them according to the effort and concern, the love that they express toward the one they're caring for. Lord, thank you that you will touch us today and thank you that we have an alternative to the destruction that we'll consider here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Appreciate Bo reading that text. I know that sometimes when the scripture reader sees that it's only one verse of scripture. They're like, oh man, why are we even doing this? But I assure you that whether it's one verse of scripture or it's a handful of scriptures, whatever it is, if it's God's word, every single part of that is impactful. Now today we're going to be looking at one particular part of that short verse that he read for us from Jude that only has one chapter and verse 11. Verse 10 tells us that this statement actually was directed toward those who spoke evil of those things which they did not know or understand. And the idea is that there was a sense of mockery from false teachers who are addressed in this short epistle. And even when they didn't understand why it is that they had to do certain things within the context of obeying God, they might offer an alternative. Hey, if I don't understand it, if I'm ignorant, maybe I can offer something different. And in response to that, he says, woe to them because they're going in the way of Cain. They're they're running greedily in the era of Balaam for profit. And they are perishing in the rebellion of Korah. Every single one of those examples, Cain, Balaam, Korah, didn't understand why it is they had to do what they were commanded to do. I don't get it. And so they offered an alternative. And in every single case, that alternative resulted in some kind of destruction or rebuke from God. Now, in the case of Cain, 
we are going to dwell upon this statement that they had gone in the way of Cain. Cain is a famous character of Scripture. I guess the right word would be infamous. But in some ways, I shy away from the idea of infamy because he wasn't patently or wholly evil in his origination. Here was somebody whose desire was to worship God. But here came the ignorance or the lack of knowing or the refusal to do what he knew to do. And essentially the story became a contrast between Cain's way and God's way. Now Cain is that person of Old Testament scripture. Perhaps even more dire in the story at least with regard to the choice made. With, with Cain, we see a little bit of contrast with what had happened with Eve in that here was an opportunity to be something more. And, you know, perhaps there was a sense of ignorance on the part of Eve in terms of the choice that she made. She, she realized perhaps an empowerment in the partaking of the fruit. Now, there was still the consequence. There was still the losing of access to the tree of life and all of that and sin entering into the world. But with Cain, there is a moment in which he wrestles with the notion of going against the will of God. And God even intervenes. It is not the voice of Satan who is scattered throughout the dialogue. It is God himself as though he is gathering up the hand of a child in order to give them direction to make the right choice. Here is Cain, who in a moment of decision, instead of choosing God's way, chooses disobedience, anger and hatred, ultimately murder and ruin. And it's in that description the moment of decision, the hope of God that we will choose the right path, and in the falling away and the choice to, to do my own thing and to suffer the consequences knowingly, that is very much the pattern that millions and millions and millions of people choose every single day. What exactly is the way of Cain. The way of Cain is the way of independent decision. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, pretty famous text, we're told that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is the result of hearing the word of God and then acting in response to what we read in the word of God. In fact, in that context, he tells us exactly how that word is transferred and, and he uses the picture of the preaching of God's truth. 
And so hearing the word of God, we are in a moment where we make a determination of whether or not we're going to accept that word. And he says, if we're accepting of that truth, that, that is how the faith comes. It comes by hearing the word of God. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, it says, by faith, Abel. Abel is a character of scripture who becomes an exemplar of the faith. Abel is one who, in response to the command of God, makes a determination about what he is going to do. But also in that story is his brother Cain, who within the depiction of the events of Genesis chapter 4, has posed before him the same dilemma. How is it that I worship God? Abel responds by faith, which means that he had received the message of God as regards what was acceptable worship. And Cain, Cain does it. In terms of our response, our development of faith, in reaction to the commands of God, comes that moment of decision. How am I going to respond to God? Too many in the world today choose their own way as opposed to God's instruction that results in faith. And sometimes it's manifested in different kinds of attitudes, especially related to worship. A person might say something like or to the effect that, you know what, God expects a lot of us. And so since he expects a lot of us, I, I'm just not so sure that all of us can participate in worship like he has expressed. And so we're going to make some accommodations about it. After all, what, what could be amiss about that? What could be wrong about an independent decision? For instance, let's talk about music and worship. You know, the expectation is that we're all going to sing, but everybody knows that not everybody has a, a perfect voice or can maintain perfect pitch, and that would be a mess. So wouldn't it be a good accommodation that we added something that might help us to keep time or keep the perfect pitch? And that just seems to me that that would be a perfect remedy for the problem of acceptable worship to God without actually recognizing God's instruction with regard to worship was not that it sound humanly perfect or that every song be on pitch or that somehow or other everybody have an angelic voice, but that the purpose of the singing was to create a vehicle by which we might teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. The adding of an instrument is an innovation. It is an addition to the instruction of God. To do it by faith would be due according to the instruction of God. To do it opposed to the faith would be to add or to subtract something from that command. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, Jesus said pretty plainly 
that these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Some also suggest, well, okay, let's set that aside, the whole matter of worship. Let's just, let's just get to our relationship with God altogether. I, I know, you know, from the very beginning, there was the one doctrine, there was the one truth, there were the apostles, and you had those elders in all these churches, and they're maintaining the truth, and that same truth, 1 Corinthians 4, 17, is being preached to every place. Got it. But you know, as time goes on, people go into various areas, there are all kinds of cultural differences, and it just became, it just became a difficulty to maintain truth. So isn't it okay you know, given those limitations that we can maybe innovate in various places. After all, everybody kind of makes their own way to God. If we have the right intention just to get to God, isn't it okay just to have various paths? My first response to both of these scenarios is that God's never created a situation that is impossible for his adherent to follow, whether that is in the production of music through singing or whether it is in obedience to the truth that he manifested originally with regard to the church and what's expected. So what about that idea of many ways to the Lord? I was thinking about Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, according to Acts chapter 26 and verse 9, made it his purpose to be in conflict with the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That, that was what he set out his heart to do. Oh, he was a very good Jew at the time, had a great conscience with regard to serving the Lord in what he understood to be the truth, but now he is like, you know what? In serving God, I'm going to oppose Jesus of Nazareth, who in effect became the very one that God had sent to deliver on. Well, he's in ignorance, you say. We're in ignorance. And so he has chosen a path, maybe not the one that he would eventually try, but he's chosen a path. That's okay. But ultimately, listen to what he said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13. He said, the way I did it then was ignorantly in unbelief. Ignorantly in unbelief. Saul of Tarsus says, the reason that I was against the things of Jesus of Nazareth, the reason that I opposed the faith, the reason in effect why many people try to find their own way to the Lord as opposed to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, verse 6. The reason that they do it is because of ignorance and unbelief. Ignorance would be, I just didn't know. But unbelief is, I do know, but I'm simply choosing another way. Hebrews 11, verse 4 by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than came, by which he received witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and he being dead still speaks. God spoke with regard to the sacrifice that Abel made because it was offered by faith. God had commanded a specified thing, and Abel had responded. 
he offered a more excellent sacrifice that God testified to as opposed to that which Cain had offered, one that was of his own choice. One that was not by faith because God had not instructed him to give as he gave. If you don't remember anything else from our talk here today, just plant Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 in your mind and in your heart. Because God really, he really fleshes out this entire thing as regards our own innovations, our own tendencies just to kind of do what feels right to us in worship to do as we please or what pleases us in the activity uh, in terms of finding the Lord, of seeking our own way. God says, listen to me. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I see our little grandchildren trying to eat. So we have these little spoons for them. You know, they're designed for children. On one end is clearly the shape of a spoon. And the other is just, it's just a handle. But how many times do the children want to do it their own way? I got this, I know how to feed myself. And they'll grab the spoon end of the apparatus and try to feed themselves with the handle. I see that in kind of a depiction of our relationship with God. God says, this is how you do it. This is how I expect you to do it. You don't really have to understand why I want you to do this because honestly, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And the way I think of it, the way in which I expect you to do is way higher than the way you might imagine doing it. I haven't put anything beyond your reach, but what I'm saying to you is, this is what I expect you to do. Abel, when given the opportunity to offer worship to God, offered that worship according to the precise means by which God had instructed him. And Cain did not. And simply because of that, Cain perishes by way of that decision. The way of Cain is that way of independent decision. I just, I just want it my way. God did not accept that. The way of Cain is also the way of intentional neglect. And when I say intentional, I mean that he had a moment of decision and he absolutely chose to go in a way opposite of God's instruction. He, he made the determination himself. Intentionally neglected the will of God. Okay, so Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. We find out in verse 4 that when the sacrifice was offered, that according to verse 4, Abel's sacrifice was respected and Cain's sacrifice was not respected. As a result of that, verse 5, it says that Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. 
in verse 7, God goes to Cain and he says, look, if you will just do right, if you'll just do what I told you, won't you be accepted? And then God warns Cain that sin is lying right there at the door and its desire is for you. Now let's review. The sacrifice has been offered. Abel has offered a lamb and Cain has offered the best from the produce that's come from the land. He is a tiller of the earth. And God does not accept that. He only accepts Abel's sacrifice of the lamb. Why is that? Well, it was offered by faith. Since faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, clearly God had instructed those guys in what to do. Here's what you do. You give an offering of the sheep. You give the lamb. And so Abel does that. Cain does not. Cain is like, you know what? That doesn't really make sense. Remember that idea of my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. God, why are you doing this? I have a plan that's unfolding through the millennia. You just hang in there with me. Wait a minute. I don't understand that. I'm ignorant of that plan. And so even though you've instructed us to do it this way, it just seems better to me that I offered from the best that I have just like Abel's offering the best that he has. Seems reasonable, except God says, no, I don't respect you, Cain, because you haven't done what I have commanded you to do. Cain gets all bent out of shape about it. I'm so angry, and his countenance fell, means that he just started pouting about it. And when he started pouting about it, again, it reminds me of little children. The more you try to console them and encourage them to do the right thing, it's like the more they dig in with the pouting. And it just becomes, it just becomes a mess. I don't respect what you've done here. If you'll do right, you'll be accepted. Now, Cain already knew the consequence of sin. And that's why I'm saying that his neglect of doing the right thing is intentional. I know that what I'm doing is wrong. God has identified that. I know I should change what it is that I'm doing. I know that there is a terrible consequence for this sin, although I don't know yet exactly what that will be. But I do have the experience of my parents having sinned, and I know that they were in this idyllic environment. They had access to the tree of life, And now because of one sin, they've been separated from that. And that's why I'm having to work the ground like I do. I mean, really, I'm the person here that's dealing with that very curse of all the people who lived on the planet at that time. Cain would have been a guy who knew exactly the consequences of sin. And yet he digs in like a little spoiled child. He becomes very angry. His countenance falls and he just pouts about it. How bad could it be? Sin and all. In the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, Scripture there says, there's none righteous, no, not one. I don't really know what Cain was thinking, how he might be able to get out of this or sway the mind of God, but I know what it's come to. What it's come to is an epidemic of sinful, bad choices. 
A little bit later in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, there's a beautiful statement because Cain lived within a period of time wherein he understood what God's intention had been. You know, man was God's glory in this idyllic kingdom that God had created for him. And now that he has fallen, he's fallen because of his sin and lost that glory. He is still experiencing, even in his flesh, the power of that tree of life. And, and, and year after year, hundreds of years at a time, experiencing and reliving and remembering. And now in this moment of decision, it's all up in the air. He's going to neglect all of that history and all of that potential. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, well, just as he would have very well known, the wages of sin is death. I mentioned that here we are, generations removed, and sin has just compounded itself. Sometimes we enter into sin without even realizing that we've done that. I think of James 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Cain, here's the right way. You know, don't you know that if you do well, that, that everything's going to be all right? Uh, yeah, you messed up, you didn't do it. But if you will choose right, it'll be, no, I'm not, I am not doing it. I know to do right, I just don't. To him it is sin. Or maybe more popular, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. I commit, I intend to do this sin. I, I know that it's sin and I do it anyway. Now, whether it was passive or whether it was very much active, Cain had made the decision, this is what I'm going to do. And there are always terrible consequences when we choose our way opposed to God's way. That's just how it is. And there is no way to escape the consequences of it. My mind goes back to really the grandfather of illustrations in terms of obeying the command of God and then the strict consequence. And that comes from the book of Leviticus chapter 10. Remember the story of Nadab and Abihu? Nadab and Abihu are the sons of Aaron. They are in line to be the spiritual leaders of this nation. Wow, what investment there is made in their lives. And yet, given instruction, here you're going to use this fire with these sensors. This fire has been specifically given by God. Don't you use anything else. What do they do? Straight forth, go out and use their own fire. It'll be okay. You know, we're, we're priestly. We're in the right line. We're good. Don't worry about it. But do worry about it. Because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not the same as our ways. He doesn't think about a wishy-washy pattern. Oh, it could be this or that. God has a plan. He has a reason for doing everything. He has a reason for laying it out with detail for us to follow. It is not beyond our grasp to obey. And so Nadab and Abihu, very simple, use this fire. Oh, but they chose well, what the scripture refers to as a profane fire. It was a fire that God had not commanded them. 
What was God's response to that? God did not come down on the scene and say, who listen, you have chosen in error, but I tell you what, if you will choose differently, won't everything be okay? Won't it be fine? Everything's going to be cool. That's not what happened. In response to their unfaithfulness, the scripture just simply says that fire went out from the Lord and consumed them. And then the Lord comes to Aaron. He says, you better not publicly grieve over those boys. Wow. God's serious about his commandments to us. He's serious about the way that he instructs us in doing things. It's not up for debate. It's not up for decision. It's not one of those deals where we say, well, you know, I'll go ahead and do it and I'll ask forgiveness later. That's not how God operates. God operates according to the strict adherence of his loving commands. Why are they so loving? Because there is an end that is in sight, at least for the mind of God. And even if we operate in ignorance, Ken, why do you do it this way or that way? Well, honestly, I, I don't know. But I do know that that's what God has commanded. And he commanded it for a reason. And if that's only his reason, if I never understand why it is, still, I am obliged to keep the will, the commandment of God. So even, even in ignorance, I could still be faithful. Oh, it's, it's true that that way of Cain, boy, that involved some intentional neglect on his part. And it also involved, I'm going to call it invincible pride. And what I mean, what I mean by invincible pride is that he wasn't going to back down, not for anything. I'm doing it my way. <laughs> you, you do realize this is worship to God? Yeah, but still. Let's revisit verse 5 of Genesis chapter 4. He was very angry and his countenance fell. Okay. Uh, I just want to think of it from his perspective for a minute. You know, this thing God's come out with, offering of an animal sacrifice, that's easy for Abel. According to verse 2, he's a tender of sheep. <laughs> you know, all he's got to do is just, I mean, that's what he does every day. Oh, I think I'll take this one. I mean, what? that's not hard. He's a tender of sheep, and God is asking for that as the sacrifice. Duh, of course that would be easy. He can do that. I'm not a tender of sheep. I don't even care about those sheep. I'm a tiller of the ground. I work in the earth. As noted earlier, it's the hardest job on the planet at this time to get that ground to produce, but I'm good at it. And look at this produce. It's amazing. And I want to offer that to the Lord. That makes sense to me. What I'm doing is hard. Or at least that's what God's asking me to do is something hard. 
I don't know if it ever dawned on him that maybe he could have sold or traded some of that produce to his brother Abel, but maybe that wasn't the point at all. He became envious. And this, Cain's the oldest child. He's the firstborn. There's Abel who came a little bit later and what in the world? You know, why didn't God say, give of the produce? I'm the firstborn. I should have some part in this. What in the world? He just becomes jealous of his brother, envious. So much so that even given the warnings and the opportunity to change direction, given that moment that everything could have been different, he goes right out there and according to verse 8, he kills his brother. Why did he do that? Why did he murder his brother? 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 says that he did it because his way was evil and his brother's righteous. His way, his works, what he did were evil. They were against the will of God. What his brother did was with the will of God. It was righteous. It was right. By, a, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. Hebrews eleven four, 4. Abel did what God commanded him to do. Cain did not. It made Cain mad and he took his brother's life. He did it because his works were evil. As a result of that, verses 11 and 12, God says, and probably this is the worst thing that Cain could have ever heard in his life, given the occupation, right? He is noted as a tiller of the earth. He's the guy. You're going to be cursed from the earth. It is no longer going to bring forth for you. And all of that, you're going to be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. I don't know what he had possibly envisioned might come from the choices that he made. But when he dug in, when he became all pouty and angry and then acted on that frustration within him, he became so proud, like a, like a giant monolith to the, to the intention of sin, he became so proud that he didn't care what happened. At least in the moment, he didn't care. You know, sin does that sometimes. Going to commit that sin, you don't care what the consequence is. You want to do it, and that's it. That's where Cain was, and he murdered his brother. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It was pride, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, that made the devil not a novice lips being puffed up with pride. You fall into the same condemnation as the devil, proud. Hezekiah, remember good Hezekiah? Good old Hezekiah was that one, according to 2 Kings 20, 13 to 19, became pretty proud what he had 
stored up as wealth in Jerusalem. He opened up those storehouses of all of that wealth and showed it to the Babylonians. God came back and said, you know what? One of these days, they're going to take all of that away. Think about it. Kind of like what I'm saying with Cain just not really caring about what happens after. Hezekiah, he has the audacity to say, well, Lord, now that's not going to happen in my lifetime, is it? What? So proud, so arrogant, so much thinking, my way, my way. When it comes to us, we were talking about decisions that we make about worship or how we get to God. Would we dig in so deep with our own thoughts and intentions with regard to worship and matters related to the church? Would we dig in so much that we didn't care about what came after? We didn't care who we tainted with such doctrine or what God might do in response to such a thing? People become so proud. Matthew chapter 7, 21 and following speaks to that very thing. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. For many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The arrogance of saying, Lord, we've done a lot of what you said. We just did a few things we wanted to do. Whether it's few or many, if I'm not walking within the will, the commandment of God, then I'm walking in a different way. I'm walking in the, the way of Cain. Finally, way of Cain is one of inescapable condemnation. Well, what befell Cain as a result of his presumption against God, condemnation, separation from basically the mass of humanity, ought to be a warning to all of us of the consequences of our sin. Sometimes I guess maybe we get the idea we have immunity. Somehow or other, I, in the mix of 8 billion people, have this special relationship with God. God and I, we understand one another. And I know that for most people this would be wrong, but God knows my heart. He knows it's okay, it's, it's cool. We're fine, we're good with this, God and I. Peter said in Acts chapter 10, 34, 35, that there is no such arrangement that we have with God. No one is above the other. But that in every nation, he who fears God and works righteousness is accepted by him. No one of us has that special relationship where we say, Lord, I, I know this is what you meant for everybody else, but 
this is special for me and this situation. You know, we have an understanding. That isn't true. God is not a respecter of persons in this text. But what he does say is what he said all along. You fear God. Here he says you work righteousness. What was it Ecclesiastes 12, 13 said? Fear God and keep his commandments. Keeping his commandments is righteousness. God has said all along, what you do is you fear me. You you fear me, you obey me, I respect you. I I see you. You choose otherwise and I'm going to punish you. Oh, but choosing otherwise. That forfeits some things. Like Revelation 2.10. You know, be faithful until death and I'll give you, I will give you the crown of life. It's it's not, it's not something you're making as you go. I'm going to give that to you for your faithfulness. Trust me in that. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or evil. And he says, knowing this, we teach men. And here's why, because we know the terror of the Lord. What happens otherwise? Speaking of terror, I just can't get out of my mind the contrasting scenarios. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 beginning, he describes what the saints are going to experience when the Lord returns. But at the very same time, As the Lord is returning for his saints and we're meeting him in the air and there's just this great rejoicing and and happiness and thinking about eternity forever and ever. While we're thinking that, there's another image that is painted for those who have gone this way, Cain's way, in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and following. Same kind of picture. Lord's descending from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So, God's way, go to be with Him forever and ever. Meet the Lord in the air. Cain's way, fire and destruction. The way of Cain, that's a dead end. That's not going anywhere. But Jesus offers us another way. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way which leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. But you can find it. You have found it. If you know the truth, it is that truth that will set you free from all of this demise that we have seen today. Who would choose? Who would continue choosing the way of Cain? You say, Ken, I've made a terrible mistake. I'm in the midst of it right now. Then if you would choose differently, I'll just use God's words. Won't it be different for you? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you repent? Wouldn't you change your direction in order to change the ending? Instead of seeing fire from heaven, 
How about that great reunion someday in the skies with the Lord? How about in the moment of decision, choosing God's way and not the way of Cain? Today, if you're a child of God, your choice ought to have already been made a long time ago. But if you've stumbled somehow and you've made other foolish decisions, today can be the day that you are reinstated. Today's the day that you confess that and we pray together. The Lord will forgive you. We will be accepting of that uh, repentance and forgiveness. And you can begin today right where you left off. Maybe you're not a child of God. Today, you need to have your sins washed away so that you can rise up out of the waters of baptism, a new creature, sins removed, free, choosing a different path a different way. Choose God's way today. Won't you come as we stand together and sing? I am resolved no longer to Long before the Lord's Supper this morning will be 10,000 angels.
When we think about the death of Jesus, one word that always at least comes to my mind, and I hope it does to yours as well, is sacrifice. And that sacrifice is a part of the manifestation of God's love. In 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, John writes, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, going through verse 10. So we can see the sacrificial nature of God's love in that he sent Jesus into this world for the purpose of making possible the way of salvation. And so as we think about that sacrifice, let us think about what we are about to do and to consider that this is part of what we can do to reciprocate that love, to give something back to him in return, in remembrance. With that in mind, let us bow. Our Heavenly Father, we 
come. We thank you for this great privilege of assembling here this day to worship you and specifically to remember the sacrifice and ultimately the death that Jesus made for us to have salvation. And as we partake of this emblem, the bread representing his physical body, may we reflect upon that and may we never take that for granted. And it is for this that we ask, and in Jesus' name, amen. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul speaks of Christ's blood as bringing forth our redemption, him bringing us back unto himself, that reconciliation. And likewise, we call to remembrance the shedding of his blood. Bow with me, please. Our Heavenly Father, again we come and we thank you for all that you have done for us. But we again thank you for the greatest blessing of all, your Son, Jesus, and him coming and living that sinless life so that he could offer himself up as the perfect sacrifice and that we can have redemption through his blood, as you have said in your word. And as we partake of this emblem, representing that action, may we again reflect upon it, and may we always keep in remembrance what you have done for us. And for this we ask, and in Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray. Most gracious and loving Father, we bow before you with humble hearts, hearts overflowing with thanksgiving to you, Father, for all the many blessings of life. Father, we're mindful of the greatest gift of all, your Son. Father, we pray that our offering today will you will bless and return, Father, that we may continue spreading the gospel with the, the mission work, with the benevolence program, with the food pantry, with many other activities, Father, we're so thankful. So thankful that for the ministers, for the elders, for the teachers that nourish us spiritually so that we may spread the, spread the gospel in your kingdom, Father. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you. 
Alrighty. I got a couple youth announcements before uh, Brother Andy comes up here and gives us the rest of them. Um, we are going to go to Singing in the Park tonight, and we're going to leave the tack at 3 o'clock. It's going to rain, so bring a rain jacket. We're going to have, they'll have, a, they'll have singing at the church building, so we'll be dry there, though. Um, there's going to be a bus that going to Savannah, Tennessee this Thursday night for the Tennessee Youth Services. The bus is going to leave the tack at 5 p.m. Uh, I was told that all ladies that plan to go to the Transform uh, Ladies Conference must pay their deposits today. There's a box in the foyer, and you can PayPal Wendy Long. Also, uh, there's a VBS at Zion Rest this coming Saturday. It's from 9 to 1, and ages 2 to 12, they would be really excited to see some of us there. So, uh, thank you. Good morning, and thank you for being here on this beautiful Sunday morning, July the 9th, 2023. We had 292 in services this morning. I have several announcements. If you're going to Maywood, the campers and their parents are asked to meet in the little chapel this morning immediately following these services. So if you're going to Maywood, head on into the uh, little chapel after services this morning. Uh, the gospel meeting at Burnsville will be this week with Philip Hines as the guest speaker, and the services will be at 7 p.m. each night. We will be taking a bus on Monday night, tomorrow night, and it will leave the annex at 615. So if you want to go to the Burnsville meeting and you want to ride on the bus, be at the annex before 6.15 p.m. Also, the Golden Circle uh, luncheon will be this coming Tuesday at 11.30 a.m. If you want to help out with the uh, services at the Landmark Nursing Home, that will be today at 4 p.m. Uh, also, all the ladies are invited to a baby girl shower in honor of Laura Galloway this afternoon from 1.30 to 3 o'clock in the Annex. And also this Thursday, there'll be the food pantry and the clothes closet will be open from 9 a.m. till 10.30 a.m. J.T. Beard needs to meet with everyone that is involved in the food pantry tonight after services in the little chapel. So if you're helping with the food pantry, meet with J.T. tonight after services in the little chapel. And that is all the announcements I have. Would you please stand for our closing prayer? Our dear, most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do once again thank you for another wonderful Lord's Day and the opportunity we've had to come out and study your word once again. Lord, we pray that what we've learned, may we apply it to our lives and may we better serve you. Lord, thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross of Calvary for the sins of the world. Now, Lord, forgive us wherein we have sinned against you. For this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.